Hello, and welcome to the Park Baptist Church Podcast with Pastor David Blakely. Our goal is to preach the Word of God in a real and authentic way, so you are filled with the Spirit to guide you through life each and every week. To learn more about Park Baptist Church, visit parkbaptist.com. And now, Pastor David Blakely. Well, those of you that are a little bit on the the older side will remember Dear Abby. Uh, Dear Abby was a a newspaper columnist where people would write in and um, talk about problems and then she would would help them kind of diagnose the best way to, to approach them, approach the problem or the issue. And she once um, had an article about a story. It was a story about a man who went to a psychiatrist. He thought he was going crazy. And the reason that he thought he was going crazy is because he could hear the radio playing in his head. And he, he, he could hear literal radio broadcast. And he, he just assumed he must be losing it. And so he went to the psychiatrist, and the psychiatrist, hoping to kind of set his mind at ease, um, asked him what he was listening to. And then the psychiatrist went to a radio, turned the radio on, and turned to the station. And lo and behold, the man really was hearing the radio play in his head. What was being played on the radio, the man was hearing in his head. And so that constituted further investigation, obviously. And it turns out that the man worked in a glass factory. And if you know anything about glass, glass is made from silica. And what had happened is somehow, some way, this man had gotten silica particles into his dentures, his bridge work. And the combination of silica, bridge work, and saliva had worked to form a radio in his head. And so they made some adjustments to his bridge work and, and you know, did some, some corrections, and the man went off the air. He could no longer uh, hear, hear the radio in his head. Now, I use that illustration as a, a starting point where we as followers of Jesus, we as believers, once upon a time, we were tuned in to the, the Holy Spirit. You know, once upon a time, we could hear God talking in our lives. We could, we could hear God guiding us and directing us. We were excited about Jesus and, and we were excited about serving him. But now, I think a, a lot of us no longer find the joy that is supposed to be in our salvation. We no longer hear God's Spirit speaking to us. We have somehow managed to go off the air. And in Revelation chapter 2, there's a description of a church that sounds a lot like us, I think. It says in Revelation 2, verse 2, the angel of the church of to the angel of the church of Ephesus, right? I know your works, your labor, your patience, that you cannot bear those who are evil. You have tested those who say they are apostles and are not, and have found them liars, 
and you have persevered and have patience and have labored for my namesake and have not become weary. Today I want to talk about repentance and revival. <clears throat> and first of all, don't get defensive. Um, you know, we're all sinners. We all mess up. And the reality is, is that it's natural for us to need to make some course correction from time to time. Imagine a sailing ship going across the ocean. They can't just set a direction um, when they leave port and just go in a straight line. They have to constantly be making course correction as they go in order to end up at the right spot. And being faithful uh, to, to God is, is very much like that. You know, we, we need to continually be looking at where we are, what we're doing, how we're thinking, um, and, and make corrections as necessary. You know, in, in truth, the only time that you should not um, feel, or, or the, the, only re the only time you should feel concerned is if your attitude as you're sitting there is one of, I don't, need, I don't need to work on my relationship with God. I, I don't need to make any kind of correction. You know, this text from, from Revelation that I just read, this church was doing a lot of really good things. You know, they were holding to God's truth. They were, they were opposed to bad theology. They were, they were enduring under persecution. They were working. They were serving. They were doing a lot of good things. From the outside, that church looked like it was great. You know, that, that they were doing everything right. But now notice verse 4 and 5. Nevertheless, I have this against you. Remember, this is God talking to them. That you have left your first love. Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen. Repent and do the first works. Or else I will come to you quickly and remove your lampstand from its place Unless you repent. First thing we need to understand is God does not mess around. You know, the, the church was doing a lot of really good things, but they had grown cold. You know, in their service to God, they weren't functioning from a position of love. Um, they were just, they were doing their duty. They were, they were fulfilling an obligation and, and they, they were not doing it from a, a place of, of love and desire for God. And notice the consequence for not repenting. As a church, they would have their lampstand removed. And you say, what, what the heck does that mean? What that means is that they would no longer be a representative of Jesus Christ. Now, we see that today. There are lots and lots and lots of churches all over the place, but they're not representing Jesus Christ. They're religious. They hold church, but they are not preaching Christ. They are not holding up Christ as the central theme of who they are. You know, and, and Jesus, or, you know, what God is basically saying here is, I 
would rather have no representative of all, at all than have a wrong representative. We need to hear this, brothers and sisters. To be a Christian is to love the Lord Jesus Christ. You and I have a responsibility, an obligation to God to serve Him, but we must serve Him out of love. You know, um, hear this. Please hear this. Being morally pure, being having proper theology, being disciplined in our service, you know, holding sound theology, all of those things are nothing if we're not doing it from a place of love. Please get that. 1 Corinthians 13 tells us that. If I could speak all of the languages of earth and angels and I didn't love others, I would only be a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. If I had the gift of prophecy, and if I understood all of God's secret plans and possessed all knowledge, and if I had such faith that I could move mountains, but I didn't love others, I would be nothing. If I gave everything I have to the poor and even sacrificed my body, I could boast about it. But if I didn't love others, I will have gained nothing. Hear this carefully. The DNA of a Christian is love. If you are not oozing love, then there is something not right about your Christian life. Please hear that carefully. God demands that we reflect Him and God is love. And so God has given us a recipe, if you will, that, that we can apply, that will heal us, that will, will return us spiritually to where we're supposed to be. You know, understand that God wants intimacy with His children, to be in right relationship with Him. But because we have a sinful nature, because we are naturally sinners, and because we live in a broken world, it, it needs to be understood that we are in constant need of renewal. We are in need of revival. We are in need of repentance. You know, it, it, it's absolutely absurd to think that God is sitting back there saying, well, I don't, I don't want to send revival. I, I don't want people to, to be right with me. I, I just want them to kind of bumble and stumble around. I, I mean, that is just, that's ludicrous to think that, that God would do that. People, you know, say, well, we're not having revival because God doesn't want us to have revival. No, that is nonsense. God does not hold back from us except when we allow sin to come between us and God. You know, God is always wanting to restore. He's always wanting to, to have us be revived, to be on fire for Him, and to be filled with love. Let's understand what revival really is from a spiritual standpoint. It's an, it's an improvement in the condition or the strength of something. Uh, it, it's an instance where something becomes 
important again. You know, it is the reawakening of, of spiritual fervor, of spiritual um, activity. And, and it's a restoration of the body and the mind and the spirit. Now, there are some unalterable laws out there in nature. You know, we, we get that. We understand that. Their, their uh, law, by definition, is a statement or a principle of, or a truth that has no exceptions. Water boils at 212 degrees Fahrenheit. Period. That, that is a law. If you boil water when it gets to two, or you know, heat water when it gets to 212 degrees, it boils. That's just reality. You know, there, there's a law called gravity. If you drop an object and it's not hindered by anything, it's going to fall at 32 feet per second. That's just reality. It's a law. You know, there are laws of physics and biology and genetics and, and social behavior. There, there's laws for, for all kinds of things. Um, to speak to the current world situation that we have, you know, there, there's a biological law that says you're born either male or female. And just because a person chooses to pretend to be something other than what they are, you know, I... I I can pretend to be a female, or I can pretend to be a fish or a frog or a horse, but that doesn't change the reality that I am a male and I am a human, period. You know, there, those are laws that cannot be altered. What you sow, you will reap. That is a law. You know, it doesn't matter what we think. There are laws that are in place. Well, there is a law of spiritual revival. You know, so again, some people think, well, we're not having revival just because God doesn't want it. Again, that is nonsense. Um, there was a man by the name of Charles Finney, and he, he, was what it was, he was known as the father of revivalism. He was one of the primary um, leaders of the Second Great Awakening. And, and he, through his preaching, uh, he proved that God is always ready to bring revival. You know, uh, God will bring revival if we meet the conditions of revival. Revival doesn't come through training. Revival doesn't come through us working ourselves up into some sort of ecstatic frenzy. Revival comes when we follow the laws of revival. It comes when, when God's people are faithful and obedient to His ways. Now, here's the real question. Do we honestly want revival? My, my assumption and my hunch is that we love our sin more than we want God. And that's why we're not seeing revival. Now, Finney wrote that revival can be expected when the wickedness of society grieves and distresses Christians. Again, I don't think that's the case. I think that we, we are right in bed with society and we love the sin that our society has. And so as a result, we are not distressed over the sin of society. When Christians have a spirit of prayer, 
there is a, a good chance that revival is going to come. But again, we, we don't commit to prayer. You know, when pastors, and, and I, I told the folks in the first service, I have repented of this. When, when we as pastors preach toward revival, when we, when we lead toward revival, revival will happen. And when the need for revival is clearly seen. Well, I, I think there's pretty good evidence that our society needs revival. So what is the recipe for revival? You've already heard it this morning, 2 Chronicles 7.14. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and heal their land. Attitude determines reception. And this is so important to understand. Most everyone here remembers good old Mr. Rogers, right? Well, before Mr. Rogers became Mr. Rogers that we know from television, he was actually a pastor. I don't know if you knew that or not, but he, he was a minister. And when he was in seminary, one of the classes that you have to take when you go to seminary is called homiletics. What's that? That's the fancy name for learning how to preach. And so he was taking a homiletics class. And during the, while he's taking this class, obviously they're teaching you all of the things that you should do and you should not do when you preach. And so he was visiting, he and his wife were visiting in a little country church, and there was an old pastor up there. He must have been 80 or so, it's dumb, that Mr. Rogers said. And as this old man is preaching, being the seminary student that he was, Fred Rogers was sitting there critiquing this man's sermon. And everything that the man was doing wrong, he was sitting there going, oh, oh, oh yeah, you, you messed that one up. Oh, you, you, you messed that one up. And he's sitting there not really hearing what the man's preaching. He's just judging the man's performance. And at the end of the service, he is turning to look over at his friend whose church they had come to, and he's starting to say something critical to this man, to, to his friend. And he notices that his friend's got tears just running down her face. And so rather than saying something critical about the pastor, he, he just says, hey, you know, and, and, and his friend says, he said exactly what I needed to hear this morning. And Fred said, Fred Rogers said, I stopped myself when I, when I realized this, and he said, I learned something really important that day. While I was judging the quality of the message, his friend was needing the content of the message. Now, what does that mean for us this morning? Why, why do I use this analogy? When God, when, when we get before God and we recognize the need God will minister to the need. But as long as we sit there and think, hmm, 
This is, you know, we're just judging. We're just saying, well, how good of a performance did the preacher put on this morning? Or, you know, I noticed that the choir was a little off key. Or did you hear that piano? She hit the wrong key there. You know, when we sit there and we're looking at this, you never hit a wrong key. (laughs) Even when she's got one wing in a sling, she still can... What, what I want us to understand is that when we come to church, not because we're coming out of need, because we're broken, because we're struggling, but we're coming because we're fulfilling an obligation. We're just checking off a box. God's not going to show up. You know, we can't expect God to move until we come to the place that we understand We are broken and we need God to be moving and working in in our lives. If my people, notice that, if my people who are called by my name, you know, God isn't looking for the people out in the world to do something so he can send revival. He's looking for you and I to do something so he can send revival. God is not waiting on anyone but us. So that's where we need to start. Well, what is it that we need to do? Well, the first thing it says is that we are to humble ourselves. Well, I know that I'm just going to have to cross over from preaching to meddling here. what, What humble means is showing a modest or low estimate of one's own importance, not being proud or haughty. First Peter 5, beginning with verse 5, says, In the same way you who are younger must ex- um, accept the authority of the elders. And all of you, dress yourselves in humility as you relate to one another. For God opposes the proud and gives grace to the humble. So humble yourselves under the mighty power of God, and at the right time He will lift you up in honor. If you'll remember... The reason Lucifer was cast out of heaven was because of his pride. Pride has no place in our lives. Most of the sin, no, all of the sin that we commit has at its core pride. Because what we do is we say, I deserve this. I want this. I don't care about the consequences. I want this. That's at the core of every time we sin. So realize that God is looking for us to respond to him. He just just walk with me through this. We are completely in God's hands. He allowed you to be conceived and brought into this world. Everything you have, everything you are, everything you have done, every breath you take is because God has ordained it. Even your salvation is a gift from God. So we have absolutely no reason to be proud. We have done nothing to be able to puff out our chest and say, look at me, look at what I have accomplished. 
You know, think about a rich kid who has every advantage that wealth offers. You know, they have a nice car, they have nice clothes, they have all of the best opportunities. It's not because they've earned it, it's because daddy is rich. Now, you know, and, and that is you and me in our relationship with God. We don't have anything because we did it. We have it because our heavenly daddy is rich. You know, and, and so we have no reason to walk around and say, look at me. And again, every time we get into trouble, every time we get mad, every time we, we get upset, it's because of pride that we have. And, you know, we're thinking, who is that person to question me? Who is that person? So humble yourselves under the mighty power of God. So let's, let's cut the arrogance. You know, um, let, let's get over ourselves. Pride is the biggest issue that is keeping God from sending revival and, and moving in our midst. Well, how do you humble yourself? Do things that you think you're too good to do. Do things that you think are beneath you. Serve other people. Not because you think you're blessing them. Serve it as a way of, of submitting to them. Begin to practice fasting. You know, it's not going to kill any of us to miss a meal or two. You know, come to God and say, God, I'm not going to eat Today, or I'm not going to eat for X amount of hours. And, and by the way, 30 minutes doesn't count. Say, I'm not going to eat for the next 30 minutes. Come to God and say, God, I'm not going to eat. And instead of eating and instead of preparing the food, I'm going to get on my knees and I'm going to worship you. And, and, and that brings me to the next one. Worship God physically. How Bow to him, kneel to him, get prostrate on the ground before him. You know, put God ahead of your will and your desires. He's God, you're not. There was a man, I love his name, Smith Wigglesworth. That is his true name. Do you think he was picked on in middle school? I do. Smith Wigglesworth was a British evangelist. He was very influential in the early stages of Pentecostal, the Pentecostal movement. And he said, I used to think the gifts of the Spirit were on a high shelf. The more I grew, the more I could reach. Now I know they are on a low shelf. The more humble I get, the more I can reach. If my people will humble themselves and pray. Set aside a time for prayer every day. I've been telling you for a long time, you should have a time in the Bible every day. Well, you should also have a time of prayer every day. And, and where, this is where you're seeking God. He says, when you seek my face, you will find me. What this means is you're not coming to God saying, God, give me, give me, give me. You're coming to God to worship him. You're coming to God to honor him. You're coming to God to celebrate him. And so what you do is you pray and, and then you pray for a repentant heart, a broken, a broken attitude. You pray for our nation. You pray for our leaders. You pray for God to be glorified in your life. You get before God and you seek him out.
I have a perfect plan for you today. This is something you can do today. Today at 3.25 p.m., you turn off all electrical devices and you get before God and you spend the next three hours seeking God, repenting of the sin that is in your life, worshiping God, praying for the lost, pouring out your heart to God. I promise you, that would show yourself and that would show God that you are serious about having revival in your life. You know, I double dog dare you to try it. (laughs) Now, here's, here's the thing, hear me. I know you won't do it, and here's why. Because you love the world more than you love God. I'm sorry, but that's the, that's the actual truth. You would rather watch a stupid football game than see revival. We are to seek God's face. And again, this, this isn't some superficial thing. What this means is that we are to, to seek His presence, seek His holiness, God wants us to prove to him that that we are serious about this. Remember what God asked Abraham to do? God asked Abraham to take his only son and put him on an altar and offer him as a sacrifice. Why? Because God wanted Abraham to show that he was serious about being an obedient follower to God. And he wanted Abraham to understand that God is more important than even his his beautiful child. He is the God of the universe. You must come to him with everything that you are. He is not interested in your leftovers. You know, he is not some chump that we throw a bone to and say, here, take this, this is good enough. That that won't cut it. If you want revival, then you have to make some decisions that that cost you. And again, we won't do that. And that's why we don't have revival. And that leads us to turn from our wicked ways. Most people think, well, I'm not that wicked because they haven't robbed a bank or killed someone or raped someone or done something horrible like that. But if we understand ourselves in the light of who God is, we will very quickly understand that we are in fact wicked. You know, quit lying to yourself that you're not that bad. You know, um, uh, yeah, you are. And, And so am I. You know, we are filthy, wicked sinners. The only thing that makes me righteous, the only thing that makes you righteous is Jesus Christ in us. 1 Corinthians 1.30, it is God who made you part of Christ Jesus. He is the reason we are right with God and pure enough to be in His presence. Christ is the one who set us free from sin. Apart from Jesus, we are nothing but hellions. 
And again, you need to understand that. You need to accept that. And you need to come to God with that kind of mindset where you, when you understand the grace that God is extending to us and, and the goodness and the love and the mercy, then you begin to get a picture of, wow, I am so fortunate that God accepts me for who I am because of what Jesus accomplished on the cross. Isaiah 64 says, we are constant sinners. How can people like us be saved? We are all infected and impure with sin. When we display our righteous deeds, they are nothing but filthy rags. Like autumn leaves, we wither and fall, and our sin sweeps us away like the wind. Yet no one calls on your name or pleads with you for mercy. Therefore, you have turned away from us and turned us over to our sins. This is yet another understanding of why pride can have no place in our lives. You know, it is arrogance that we, we somehow think that God is going to bless us and, and move in our midst when we, when we are behaving in a way that is wicked, that is, that is contrary to God. We live in a broken, sin-filled, polluted society. You know, stop and realize this. Let this sink in. Most every person you know is going to go to hell when they die. Do you understand that? Do you care? You know, as a follower of Jesus, if you and I are not willing to get serious before God, their souls are on yours and my heads. You know, one day you and I are going to stand before God and we're going to give an accounting. And, and it, you know, the, the fact that we are more interested in our petty little lives or, or we're more interested in some stupid sports team that has absolutely zero effect on our lives. You know, we're more interested in that garbage than we are the eternal destination of our family and our friends. That is wickedness right there. You think you're not wicked? There is a perfect example of absolute evil. God says, come out from among them and be separate, says the Lord. Touch no unclean thing, and I will receive you, and you will be my sons and daughters. You know, are, are you willing to see God move? Are you willing to pay the price that is necessary to have God bring revival? Most of us are not. Most of us are going to walk out of this room and this message will stay right here. And that'll be the end of it. I, again, don't do that. I, I've asked you to take your sermon notes. Make a plan today to begin the process. We are 23 days away from a midterm election and one of the things that we're looking for is God to heal our land. This is, this is the spot. Let's do that. Let's, let's take the responsibility on our shoulders. And let's say from now until the election, that's 23 days, let's devote ourselves to seeking God and praying and turning away from wickedness and, and really asking God to bring about transformation in our lives. Let's make that happen. 
It, it, it can, it's there. It's possible. But we have to be willing to sacrifice. Are you ready to do that? What are you willing to do to see God? You know, I, I think we can all agree that it's time for revival. Our, our nation, our, our society, our home here, even in Brookfield, we are in trouble. We, are, we have a mess on our hands. And it's not them out there. It's us in here. It begins with us. Are we willing to take the steps necessary? If God's people will humble ourselves and pray and seek His face and turn from our wicked ways, God has promised that He will heal us and He will heal our land. Let's repent of our sins today and let's expect an outpouring of the Holy Spirit. It's going to require a commitment. 23 days. Let's make it happen. Join me in prayer. Father, I desperately need you in my life in a greater way. I am a sinner. I am a broken person. I know that I am wicked completely apart from Jesus Christ. It is Jesus in me that is any righteousness. And Father, I know that that's the case for every person in this room. My prayer is that you would move in our midst right now. Help us, Lord, to make the hard decisions. Help us to desire you more than we desire the ease and the comforts of our world. More than we desire the, the appeals of our world more than we desire the sin of our world. Please, Father, help us to step up and make this happen, to see true, genuine revival happen, not because of our goodness by any means, but because we have, we've come to you in a way that is fitting and, and appropriate, and you have, you have responded in kind. God help us. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.